welcome to Football Masterminds, the show where we attempt to say intelligent things about football. I'm Reese Desmond, and I am here with two fantastic people. Here he is, back again, Kasi Kaur. Hey Reese, hey everyone. If you hear background noise on my end, I just want to point this out before we even start. It's because my roommate is watching the Leafs, and uh, it's Game 7, and uh, he's hyped, you know. So I was also watching with him, but now I'm here recording because that this is priority over everything else. Yeah, Kashi's about to do his uh, hockey mastermind show after this, and, and then <laughs> do that after with Russell, who is also here joining us. Russell, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Reese. Um same as you, Costi, and I think same as everybody else. Um, I've got roommates too watching the Leafs game. Um, but yeah, this is priority. Very, very excited. We're going to be talking about the Europa League final and the Champions League final. I honestly didn't know it was on, but I have a feeling that's probably what my mom is watching right now. So I think probably uh, all of us on the same page there. But yeah, it was an exciting week of football. Not as much going on as per usual in terms of like actual matches, but there's a lot going on the craziness of everything happening with the managers around the world and obviously the champions league final was this week as well as the europa league final so we're going to start with the champions league final of course we all predicted chelsea to win it we all said that they were going to do it uh russell were you happy that they ended up being the ones to pull through yeah absolutely um i mentioned that i think i almost always want the underdog to win, kind of like the underdog figure. I think most people would say that Man City were favorites just by looking on paper. Um, but then, you know, I'm not really surprised that Chelsea won because they did beat Man City twice before, even though they played the B team. I think Man City and Guardiola have a tendency to overthink, uh, which is what a lot of people say. Yeah, you know, when I saw the lineup, there was no Fernandinho, there was no Rod. Uh, Rodri and um, uh, and I think a lot of people also commenting how you know he you know overthought his formations but I I said look he he's the manager he knows more than any other fan in this world uh, and it's so easy to say that he made a mistake only after the game happens but um, yeah I it was a splendid game I'm just really really happy that it was 1-0 I was telling my friend it could have been more just because like City's gonna attack so much and Chelsea's gonna get a breakaway but one nil would do. Yeah, Kasi, I saw you having some reactions there when Russell was talking about no Rodri and Fernandinho. So what were your thoughts on the whole Guardiola overthinking it again side of it all? 62 games. They played 62 games this season. 61 games had Fernandinho or Rodri in it. In the last game, in a game where you've never tried something, why? Why would you go ahead and try and put Gundogan who is clearly not a CDM. He's a box-to-box box number eight. He wears number eight. Why would you put it? Why, what, what? Like that, it's just, it was just too much. I think uh, psychology definitely had a part to play there in that um, they had been beaten by Chelsea twice before and they wanted, and I think Pep thought that he could do something different to change the dynamic of this game. Uh, the no striker, uh, that's fine because they always play like that. Raheem Sterling with another interesting call-up. He hasn't playing much, hasn't been scoring much. And in the first half, he had a couple glorious chances and he and he missed both, I think. So you can you can kind of uh, kind of blame Pep almost for this final loss, I think. And it's hard to blame Pep when he ha- he's had uh, 
a wonderful season, winning the Premier League again, willing, winning another cup. But this game, uh, he definitely got it wrong in terms of his player selection. City didn't look as fluid as they always look, and that's obviously also down to Chelsea for breaking them up in uh, with having their five-man D. But I just, I just didn't understand the team selection here, to be honest. Yeah, there's a couple of things there. So Gundogan has played defensive mid a lot for Brissy Dortmund in the past, and he played in a Champions League final at defensive mid as well. Um, but having him play there for this particular match did kind of limit a lot of what City had done over the course of the season with Gundogan being an advanced player, an advanced playmaker who can get box to box and look to score goals. Um, they didn't really have that same kind of threat and Foden was trying to get in similar positions, but he's just like a different kind of player where he wants to be on the ball a lot, where Gundogan is very intelligent with his movement off the ball. The Sterling selection, I think, was sound. I think he was much more creative than Mares on the other side um, and was doing well to actually put decent chances into the penalty area. So I wouldn't have necessarily said that like that was a, a miss. Tactically, they just looked very lopsided at times. Like Bernardo Silva was often playing right on top of Mares, which was limiting Mares completely, who just didn't really get on the ball much. The biggest issue that City had was in breaking down Chelsea's defense. Like it's very hard to have the amount of chances that you would want to have in a Champions League final when you have two very good defensive midfielders and a back five in behind them. And every time they did put quality balls into the box, Chelsea was there to clear it away with having five players to be in those positions. I think that's pretty fair in terms of like players playing on top of each other. Even I felt that with uh, almost like Dubrana and Foden as well. Yeah, they were always 100%. somewhat together trying to do the same things all the same time. Uh, Gundogan did struggle though. Like I understand what you're saying that he's played in in yeah. CDM for uh, Dortmund in the past. But I thought he struggled to uh, break up play wherever was necessary. Yeah. I don't think he could do that in between the lines. I, I thought he got overpowered by the running of Werner and Mount uh, at times. He couldn't he couldn't really get on the the loose passes and make sure like at least things get clear. He's a box-to-box midfielder He's, who scored 16 goals this season. Why would you limit him Why when you have two fit CDMs uh, and you've played this way the entire season, you scored a boatload of goals, and then you try something different in the final. Just because I think Chelsea beat them twice, they wanted to try something different. Obviously, players are sad at the end of it, and De Bruyne got injured, and that was another sad thing that happened throughout the game for City. But Pep, at the at his con- press conference, did look defeated almost, which was really sad to see because Pep is a great coach. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Like, I don't want to justify the selection of Gundogan in that position because I do think it was 100% an incorrect decision simply because you know that you're going to be the team having more of the possession. That's the way the other two matches happened as well. Um, You know that Chelsea are going to be looking to play on the break, and therefore you need someone who's much better in transition than Gundogan. And Fernandinho and Rodri are both significantly better in transition, defending, putting up tackles, having the awareness of where to be and how to stop players. And Kai Havertz, Timo Werner and Mason Mount all just ran circles around him. So I do think it was a poor selection. I did genuinely feel like Guardiola was probably one of the best sports I've seen in terms of sort of like trying to put on a brave face after losing. I thought that was like actually really good to see. But yeah, like 
who wouldn't be upset when he was a Champions League final? Like Sinchenko just couldn't stop crying. It's just a combination of, you know, poor team selection. Like Kossi, as you mentioned, I didn't know that. It's actually crazy how, like, either one of Fernandinho or Rodri or both maybe, like, played 61 of 62 games and then you don't play either one of them in this game. I think that's obviously... Now that you mentioned it, I think that's, like, a really poor decision. And then I don't know about the decision with making Kevin De Bruyne, like, your main striker. Um, I don't really know the decision about making Raheem Sterling, putting Sterling in, especially because, like, he hasn't been playing well. Um, but he did, he actually did, I think he's one of, like, Man City's better players on the night. Um, yeah. It's a, it's also a combination of, like, you know, the players, the Man City players, they didn't turn up. And, you know, sometimes it happens. Like, I don't think you can turn up every single game. I think Chelsea defensively, they were phenomenal. Um, this is actually one of the prime examples of how um, defense is their best uh, offense, basically. So, you know, as you mentioned, we like you start from the back and you try to get a breakaway and you score. You score the first goal and that's it. Keep like keep the lead one nil, right? And I don't, I don't think City were ever gonna score. They had to do something magical to score, but I think once Chelsea scored that goal, it, you know, they were in a good position. The part where Chelsea scored, yeah, I don't know what Zinchenko was doing. I think that is entirely his fault. He, you know, he has enough experience and he should be able to see that Kai Havertz was on a breakaway. Everybody in the stadium, everybody who's watching the game could see from a mile away that Kai Havertz was going to run and Mason Mount played a beautiful ball. And yeah, I I think um, it's actually crazy because uh, even if Edison were to save it, it would have been a handball, and that's a as a, and that's a red card. That's a free kick and a red card. So, yeah, one yeah, just one chance, one good mm-hmm. chance, just completely changed the game. Yeah, but before that, even uh, Timo Werner had a chance mm-hmm. at uh, the ten minute mark, and he kicked himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he kicked himself <laughs> again. Yeah, they had a lot of good chances to score before that. Like they definitely were the team creating the better chances, even despite Man City's possession, because every chance that Man City had didn't actually lead to a shot whereas Chelsea were very productive in using the wide areas in order to create good scoring opportunities and have what actually you need to have to score a goal which is to have a shot um I do want to quickly say on the goal like I would fault John Stones way more he committed himself without actually committing himself and so he found himself just completely out of position once Mason Mount picked up the ball because he tried to follow Mason Mount but then didn't get close enough to him to do anything about it so he found himself way out of position and that made it easier for Kai Havertz to find space in behind so yeah like Zinchenko could have tracked the run a little bit better and he obviously felt like it was his fault for the goal because you could see how upset he was after the match as well Um, but I do fault John Stones for that way more at that point when you track your striker into midfield I think you either get close enough to him so you can make a pass or you foul him. Yeah. You don't let him look up and pass. Like that is just you're out of position. That I think that, that every sort of defender who plays in a defensive role knows that um a, a good CDM would do that in the middle of the park any day if if they don't feel they can catch him it's on a breakaway you get a you take a foul, you take a foul and take the yellow card and that's just it you deal with it. And most defenders I mean if you track your player into midfield and you let them look up, uh, something bad could happen. Um, and Zinchenko, yeah, he could have tracked the run better. It's just uh, Zinchenko's an attack-minded fullback. And, you know, you didn't bring him in to do that because they can attack, they can be okay as an overlapping defender, but one-on-one situations or reading the game in that sense is not, like, none of them are that good, I'd say. Um, 
I was going to actually mention something about uh, the defense comment, uh, Russell. Um, I was reading this. Uh, I'm finally finishing my Stephen Gerrard autobiography. I've been reading this for six months. Um, and it's so funny because he mentions twice in his career where uh, something like this has really cost them, where uh, you don't put in a proper CDM and you go for hell for leather in the game. And that was actually Chelsea where Gerrard slipped. And before the game, he was thinking that his formation and the tactics that Rodgers had put in place were too attack-minded, and there wasn't even enough cover at the back. And it was with England in the Euros, where Roy Hawkson was the manager. So it's so funny that, uh, like you say that, because uh, like even players that can't really do anything about it because their managers have picked the team and it's not their place to say something, feel the exact same way at some points, like um, thinking that, defense needs to be sorted out before you start uh, going hell for leather in a game. Well, I think with that comment, Kossi, like, it, yeah, you can always look at the manager's formation and say, like, okay, ultimately, yeah, the formation wasn't right. But in the case of Jared sleep- slipping, it's like he directly slipped and that directly led to a goal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, what if he didn't slip? If he didn't slip, he would not... Ev- everything that you mentioned, Kossi, would not be a thing. Like, I think... Um, but because he, he did slip then he has something to comment on. And I'm not like invalidating his comment. It's obviously, it makes sense. But I think like, ultimately it's the players who play. They have a role. Wherever they play, they have to put in 100% and they can't um, make mistakes. And that's one of the reasons why like, I think I would fault Zinchenko more in, than John Stones. And I mean, whenever there's a goal, you can't always fault just one single player. Sometimes you yeah. can, but usually it's a defensive unit. Right, you, you defend as a team, as a unit. Where there are three lines of defense, basically. That's the that's the strikers, that's the midfielders, and the defenders. Right, everyone has their role to play in defending. Mm-hmm. But to just keep it simple, let's just talk about the back four. Yeah, John Stones went up, he messed up. But I'm following Zinchenko because it it seemed to me that he was sleeping, like almost he was just sleeping. Like like I said, everyone can see from a mile away. Kai Havertz was just running, and Zinchenko should have been the first per- person to say, "Oh wow, like Kai is." So I gotta open. track this run. I got I got to track this run, and it seemed to me that he was either sleeping. I don't know. Was he watching a movie? Like, was he watching? <laughs> it, it, you know, what I mean, he's probably watching himself on the TV, saying, "Oh my, I, I look so cool." I'm on I'm on national television. <laughs> I'm on, I'm, you know, I'm on global television. In fact, if he looked at himself in TV, he could probably say, "Wow, Kai Harris is actually running behind me." <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, if, if you can look at yourself on TV and you can see, like, "Whoa, Kai Harris is running behind me." Let's talk about some of the good as well with Chelsea and how just insanely good they were. I don't think a single player had a bad match. Obviously, Timo Werner missed some chances, but he was still pretty pretty effective uh, in his role. It's kind of been like the thing everybody's been talking about, so I don't want to like really go on about it as everyone else does, but N'Golo Conte was just so good in this match and uh, very much deserved his man of, ma- man of the match award. He timed all of his tackles to perfection. Um, he won the most aerial duels in the game, which he's, he's like, what, 5-5? Five, five? Like... It's insane to think that he won more aerial duels than like Rudiger, Christensen, or anyone else. So yeah, Chelsea Chelsea were very, very good. What Russell stood out to you about Chelsea the most? Well, apart from the obvious, which is Angola Kante, which everyone is praising, and that's obviously fair. And people are saying that he's like he is the midfield himself. I think it's just Chelsea's defense in general. Um, they were very compact. They didn't allow any single man. Like, sure, Man City had some chances, but as you said, Reese, they never really had a glorious chance, right? Maybe the most, the closest chance they had was maybe 
I think Sterling might have taken a shot, had a try. Or I think it was Mares in the final, the final minute. We were just missing by an inch. Mares took a volley, and everyone stopped breathing. Basically, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> so yeah, Antonio Rudiger, Aspiliqueta, Ben Chilwell, Reese James. They would, and obviously Kante. They were just so good. Like I said, Man City never looked like they were going to score. Um, so yeah, in my perspective, it was Chelsea's defense that really won them that game. Honestly, I was when I used to watch Rudiger. I always thought he was a little bit like Sako in that he's a little clumsy, you know, looks a little weird, awkward running, uh, always has a mistake in him. And then since Tuchel come come in, he's just it's a, he's just on a different level. I would like I can see how people hate playing against him because he's aggressive when he needs to be aggressive, but he's not too aggressive in the box. I feel like when he was playing not for Tuchel, he was really aggressive in the box. He would always give away those like stupid penalties, no, not stupid, but stupid fouls at least where he didn't need to. But now, um, that's something I, I I really have like enjoyed watching is just his growth as a player because I think you need that aggressiveness as a defender to actually scare people uh, into like bullying them almost. I think I, I I enjoy that type of like old school defense as well. So that was to me that Rudiger obviously was standout alongside Kante, but uh, the whole team just. They barely had any one-on-one chances. Sterling was marshaled really well. De Bruyne was marshaled really well. Yeah, and Mahrez didn't... I don't know if he played or was he sitting on the bench. I'm not quite <laughs> sure either, either way. Every time the ball went into him, it was like Bernardo Silva was just there to steal the steal the ball instead. So it was just... It was very odd. And I do agree. Like, Rudiger's positional sense is very good. And he's excellent in the air. So it, he is a quite a handful to deal with, especially if you're Man City and you have no genuinely tall attackers or anything... Anyone who can come close to competing with him, it, it makes his job almost e- easier in that regard. And Mason Mount was excellent too, not only for his ability on the ball and what he provided with that glorious assist and his general attacking play, but he was particularly good in transition as well. And there were times when Man City would break very quickly and needed someone to support because Conte had gone a bit too far and Mount was very good at tracking back and getting back into position as well. So overall, it was just a great... Chelsea performance and they really did deserve to win the match I'd I'd never felt like it was City's to to win on the day it it always felt like it was going to be Chelsea's I have a question for you guys would you guys have gone for obviously all of us would have gone for either Rodri or Fernandinho take your pick based on experience could be either would you guys have gone for uh Aguero instead of Sterling See, Aguero hardly touched the ball when he came on. Like, he was very ineffective as well. I would probably go with Bernardo Silva as my false nine and Kevin De Bruyne as my right center mid. And I think that is the other main change that I make. And then Foden's probably the left wing as Gundogan is the center mid instead. Um, So I do probably leave out Sterling. But, like, looking back on the match, it's hard to say that you would leave out Sterling because, again, I think he was one of the better players. I uh, I wouldn't put Sergio Aguero just because like he doesn't have that X factor, that superstar player like form that he usually has. I you know I just didn't see it. Sterling not very on form, but I I would still put Sterling ahead of Aguero. Um, this is like before knowing what happened in the game. I think it's easier to say Sterling right because he played decently well. I guess. Yeah. I I I honestly, if I was Guardiola. I'll just play the same team that they used against PSG. I said it before. I'll say, yeah, why don't we just use the same team that you beat PSG with? Because they beat PSG convincingly. Just use that. Um, and I think against PSG, 
um, maybe both legs. I think they play Fernandinho. They play both Fernandinho and Gundogan, and um, uh, they play Phil Foden, Mares. They played De Bruyne. I think they played De Bruyne striker. Um, they might have played Bernardo Silva. I'm not sure, but definitely Fernandinho in in the squad. That's definitely what I would have done. I think yeah. I guess I agree with you that uh, Reese that I would play Phil Foden left, and then just just playing that like diamond diamond formation where you played like two players in the same position that was like so interesting because they didn't need to do that they didn't they didn't need to do that usually they do play bernardo and mares together on the same side of the field but it's just it just looks a little different where if one of them tucks in the other one goes wide it was that both were trying to do the same thing that was weird as well and uh, like i think the other thing is i'm surprised like from a managing perspective Usually, like in these big games, you go for their tried and tested. You know, people know these taxes inside or out. You don't change like a billion things. I feel like, and that was a mm-hmm. uh, little, yeah, that was weird to see. The only comment uh, the before we, I guess, move on. Uh, I don't know if we're ready to move on, but was that uh, regardless of Timo Werner missing all these chances, he's his contribution should not be like overlooked. I think he ran the channels really well. Again, the same thing that he does uh, to make sure that the Chelsea keep possession when they're transitioning. I thought that was really, really good to watch. Yeah, a great Chelsea performance. Uh, Unfortunately, it was not an English team winning the other final as Manchester United lost on the most insane penalty kick shootout I've ever seen in my life to Villarreal. Uh, Russell, I know you were particularly happy about uh, Villarreal winning. What were your overall thoughts on the match? And we'll definitely talk about the penalty kicks as we go on. <laughs> For sure. Uh, being a Liverpool fan, definitely didn't want Man United to win. I won't lie. Like I didn't bet, but I I knew I thought that Villarreal was gonna win. Um, maybe it's also because I didn't like Man United. So I would just say the penalty shootouts itself was better than the whole 120 yeah, minutes. The, the I whole agree. right, like. After 90 minutes, the extra, the 30 minutes extra time, boring. Nothing happened. Um, the 90 minutes, I think it was a boring game. I didn't think much happened. Like both teams had fair chances, but I think one-one was pretty fair in my in my opinion. Um, but uh, yeah, I honestly, I'm not too impressed with Man United being unbiased. I think they just don't really have the right personnel to really be that team to win finals. Um, it seemed to me that they kind of depend a bit on Cavani. Um, if they didn't get Edison Cavani in the first place, I don't know where they would be. I think, unfortunately, Marcus Vescher had a very bad game. I think he, if I would say, I think he's probably the worst player on the pitch, uh, given his standards, right? So, honestly, I think about 80% of his passes, if not more, were literally to like passing back to Luke Shaw or pass back to Pogba. I don't think he was dangerous at all. I think Mason Greenwood wasn't that dangerous. He had a couple chances, but that's it. And the same with Bruno Fernandes and the rest. But um, for me, I don't really blame Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. I think, I think the team that he put in was probably one of the best teams that they could possibly put in. I honestly think Villarreal, in a way, I think they're playing for penalties. Um, especially after the night. After the 90 yeah. minutes, I think, I think they're sure. playing for penalties, right? They're playing for penalties. I was talking to my friends and they said, yeah, like just play the penalty... Hope that David De Gea is the goalkeeper, you know, yeah. because David De Gea hasn't saved a single penalty in the past four years. And yeah. yeah, just hope. And it worked. It was very much like a reminiscent performance of all of their struggles in the first half of the season where they kept so much possession, but it was so fruitless. 
there was no real like progressiveness to it and Bruno Fernandes was very well marshaled so that didn't help either but a lot of Manchester United's best games this season have been when they are not the team with the ball and they they were just very slow in possession they lacked sort of the same kind of gusto in defense when you consider Harry Maguire wasn't in there as well but no real verticality no real line breaking ability they're not able to counterattack because they're the team with the ball the entire time and then simultaneously like they did often in the first half of the season concede a goal from a set piece um so very reminiscent of Manchester United in the first half of the season and I do agree that I think he put out like his best team possible I just think there were some substitutions at different moments that perhaps he could have done more to change the match it's tough because Manchester United doesn't really have much coming off the bench to really aid like when it was their best team potentially the decision to take off Mason Greenwood and put on Fred instead was a bit worrying considering they should have they should have at that point been trying to actually win the match like you said Villarreal were definitely hanging on to penalties um so yeah there was some strange decisions I think yes he put out his best team to start though I don't think Ole has had the time to set up United as being that that team yet. I think maybe next season, if he gets a chance in preseason, he'll bring in some players and set them up to be that team that has more possession. I feel like uh, coming from like the underdog mentality, coming from like the he's still building up a team. You always want to build up. You either go like the Jurgen Klopp style or like the uh, most other manager style where you build up your defense first and then uh, try and play counter-attacking and then uh, play expansive uh, football, I think. Just, uh, yeah, Dean Henderson wasn't put in, which makes no sense. He has a 40% save rate. He saved 8 out of 19 penalties. That's 40-plus percentage penalties saved. And I think the one of the things that I was, I was listening to uh, like from uh, analysis was that you don't want to put you don't want to substitute your goalkeeper at that crucial moment because uh his career is then threatened or you know his reputation is definitely threatened a lot but uh yeah what do you guys think would you guys have done it of course yeah i would have done it i put in my notes here i think if united were going to make a substitution in the 120th minute like they did in sending Tellez and Mata on i think you take off De Gea and you put Henderson on instead I think that was the wiser decision like Russell said De Gea has not saved a penalty kick since 2016 he had zero confidence when he was going to save those penalty kicks like zero confidence he never looked like he was going to save one and then he had zero confidence when it was ultimately his turn to step up to kick the ball if I was a coach I always think that whatever decision I make a substitution or a team selection or to just like not play a player, I do it for the best of the team. I do it because I want the team to win. I don't really care about De Gea's reputation or his career. Like if I if I'm Oli and I and I think that by putting Dean Henderson, knowing his record, forty percent saves. I didn't know that, but that's extremely extremely high. Um, that's almost half, right? Um, I would definitely put him. I would do a. I would do what um, Louis Van Gaal did with Tim Krul. Remember back oh, yeah. in 2014 in the mm-hmm. Brazil World Cup? I, it was Netherlands versus, I think it might have been Costa Rica. He put in Tim Krul and Tim Krul saved the day. And Tim Krul was, you know, forever a legend. So, yeah, I, I would definitely put Dean Henderson. There's just no, there's no way I keep the hair. The hair hasn't saved a penalty for like four or five years before that, right? He didn't put 100%. It was like, there's oh. no effort, yeah. There's no effort. It, it seemed to me that he didn't, 
it seems to me that he doesn't enjoy playing Man United. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't, and he doesn't believe in himself to actually save penalty kicks, which is, which is the biggest thing. Like, if you're talking about, oh, we shouldn't, like, damage De Gea's reputation by taking him out, like, that's outrageous to say because he didn't save 11 penalty kicks and then missed one. Like, that is so much more damaging to his confidence than taking him out would have been. For one, I think it's the most outrageous penalty kick shootout I've ever seen. I wanted to see what would happen if De Gea had scored because I have never seen that in my life before. Like, do they retake them from start to finish? Like, very crazy. But yeah, I think, like, if you're worried about damaging a player's confidence or anything like that, like, there was nothing more damaging than what actually ended up happening. This was actually this is actually interesting because the only out argument, and now we're going to talk about managers next, is I would never be only out if there was no replacements there. I, if you have Zinedine Zidane waiting in the wings, mm-hmm. I, I like you're asking me if I would choose Zidane over like say Ole or you know, um, yeah, he's won three Champions League in a row. He's won La Liga's. Like, he, who would I, I? I don't personally understand why you wouldn't pick a guy who's won so much over Ole. Yeah, sure, he's an ex-United player. He understands the board well. He's got Sir Alex's blessing. But at the end of the day, it's Zinedine Zidane. I don't know. I think that's fair. Let's let's go there now then. Villarreal winning the Europa League. There's a lot of managerial happenings right now going on with Conte leaving Inter Milan this week. Uh, Allegri has come in at Juve to replace Andrea Pirlo. Um, Zidane reportedly on the move, Pochettino possibly going back to Tottenham. So there is a very big managerial merry-go-round happening in the world right now, and it's very confusing. We already saw one in Germany as well, where managers are just flying all over the place, and Oliver Glasner today leaving for Frankfurt. Um, So Wolfsburg are going to need a new manager as well. The Inter Milan-Antonio Conte situation is very strange, having just won the, the Serie A title and a lot of hope that next season they could do much better in Europe uh, but there just seems to be some disagreements between Conte and whoever else is above him and end up uh, just being the nail in the coffin for him to leave where do you think he will go like do you think he will look for the PSG or the Real Madrid job or do you think he's going to come back to the Premier League what do you think is on the horizons for Conte so the jobs that are open potentially open say let's say for argument's sake Pochettino is going back to Tottenham but there's the Real job open, potentially the PSG job open, and then if you wanna if you wanna have that United mix in there because it's always in there. Solskjaer's not going anywhere. Yeah, I don't think so either. But you know, say it's in there. I I would say he goes to Real, given that uh, Real would have the high ambitions that he's looking for. They have a decent set of players, although aging, very very aging. Um, but at least he'd know that he'd have the money backing to, in a couple of years' time, build start building a dynasty. I think uh, he would probably go there over PSG. Yeah, if he were to go somewhere, it's I agree. It's definitely gonna have to be a big club, right? He's he's gonna want to go up, not down, right? Uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I like it's either gonna be Real Madrid or PSG. I just find it so hard because always been in Italy. I think that's the only one time that he was in Italy was when he managed Chelsea. And he did very well that he won the Premier League. He's such a great manager. I'm going to be honest, I think he just takes a year off. It just feels so strange when you've won the title or in Glasner's case, where you get your team to the UEFA Champions League when that's what they want. And then how are you having disagreements with this person? Like the owners or whoever's in charge should be doing everything in their power to make this person feel comfortable in the role that they are. PSG, what's going on right now there with Pochettino? It makes, it baffles me because 
the story as it was was that Tuchel was hot-headed and supposedly annoyed the person above him but this is happening again with Pochettino now I think we need to start pointing the fingers the other way is probably the owners more so than the managers themselves that should have the the finger pointed at them because there's no way Pochettino should have a desire to go back to Tottenham when he's managing PSG right now I agree I think I think especially when we see uh, managers performing decently to very well. So the prime example is people like Zinedine Zidane and Antonio Conte. So Conte has won the Serie A of Inter Milan. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, he left because like there's some disagreement. So that's I definitely point a finger to the owner. Conte leaves. He leaves a legend, right? Inter Milan legend. Um, Zidane, I think the first time... Where I, I'm not sure the reason why he left Real Madrid the first time. I think this is what I think. I think he left Real Madrid the first time because he, same thing. I think there was some disagreements with the owners. He didn't feel like Real Madrid were going in the right direction. And bear in mind, this was after, right after winning his third uh, Champions League. And this was, I think there were talks to sell Ronaldo to Juventus, which did happen. And then Zidane's leaving Real Madrid now, not because of the owner, but because of he felt that fans were ungrateful. And I agree. I think uh, I think Real Madrid fans are very spoiled. That very spoiled. They're very spoiled. They have no they have no tolerance. They have no patience for poor performance. If you get second, you're done. You know, if you lose the semi final Champions League, you're done. So I feel like Zidane felt that you know fans were ungrateful, which is why he left. But where is he gonna go? Like I think international football would be an interesting one for Zidane or Conte uh, to go back to for Conte um, and to try for Zidane, maybe the France job in the future. But like, I don't see a club team right now that Zidane goes to. He should yeah. just take the year off. <laughs> but then why, why wouldn't you just stay at Real Madrid then if you're just going to take the year off instead? All these managers are also human. Like, you know, you, you're, you've given all you can to a club playing and managing. And then the one season where at one point you had 12 outfield players available to you because of COVID or injuries, and you still managed to give it a good fight to it till the end and Champions League semifinals, and you're still getting all the stick. The board's probably giving you all the stick about not being happy where they are. You know, you're just you're just done with it. You just lose it, and that I feel like that's pretty valid. And in Conte, Conte's case, I think, you know, he must have made the argument that, hey, I just want us to league. Uh, the league let me let me get a bigger transfer budget so that we can bring in some better players and actually compete on the european scale and they are the owners probably weren't okay with that i mean if you look at like united glazers have been taking out money from united to fund their own debt forever uh it's just you know it's just so hard when you're in that position and if you feel like you have no control i i i think it's I think it's totally understandable why both of these managers left, but I think that's why the only out chants have become louder because there's people in the market that are proven winners. And I know, Reese, you're saying Ole doesn't go anywhere, but do you not think there's even a shout for that? I would say, like, see how next season goes because I think he's had so much positive improvement over the past few years and getting them to Europe League final is something. It's not the Champions League, but it is good and second place in the Premier League is good and you can clearly see like now what he is trying to do in the squad that he's put together. Things have been going pretty well for Manchester United, so I wouldn't be tempted to move away from Alway at this time. Interesting because Mourinho won the Europa League and came second, and he still got so much stick. Um, like it's, it's just interesting because 
uh, I think it's just about winning over the fan base with either what you do or your uh, like the type of football you play. And um, it's just interesting because he hasn't. Yeah, he's done. He's done a lot, but it's not that uh, he's anywhere close to the city. Same way as I don't think Mourinho is anywhere close to the city. And Mourinho actually won cups with uh, with United. Fair critique, but they're not going to be close to City if Zidane comes in either. It's it's not going to change. They need personnel. They need Jaden Sancho. They need Erwin Holland. They need Declan Rice, Wilfred Ndidi. Like these are the type of players they need if they're going to challenge Man City. And I just want to mention Kossi. So like in anything, whether you're a fan or a player or anything, your expectations change by the seasons. Your your needs and your wants and everything changes, right? Your perspectives on what a good club is changes. So like. Mourinho got fired because he underdelivered by his standards. I, I, I think, and if if that is not true, then he underdelivered by, by the club standards or the club's expectations. Now, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came in as a new manager, and if he stays, it's because the owners think that he is still performing. He's still, uh, he's still meeting expectations. If not, he's exceeding it because, as we said, as far as I'm concerned. Nobody's winning Premier League if you're not Man City. Chelsea might. Chelsea might contest next season. Yeah, I think Chelsea will contest yeah. next season. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think uh, the, you know winning the Champions League and beating your rivals obviously gives you a shout. I think a lot of people will probably bet money on Chelsea winning the Premier League. I won't be surprised. So yeah, it, if you're not Chelsea and you're not Man City, and if you're not an informed Liverpool, you're not winning the Premier League. Yeah, as we said, there's still some positive improvement. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it's, it's, it's a decent manager. I don't think I don't think he should be sacked. Yeah. I say that Conte might go to Real and Zidane, hot take, might come to uh, United. Just, uh, just a hot take. Or go to PSG, either way. I just don't see Conte at Real Madrid. Like, I want to see Conte at Real Madrid, and I think it would be very entertaining. But like, he's going to last a season or two at the most if he goes there. I feel like Conte should hold out. I agree with Russell. I think it's likely that he goes to Real Madrid if Zidane leaves, but I think he should hold out. Otherwise, I don't think Zidane should leave Real Madrid. I think he should stay. I think if he does leave, that he's going to go to PSG if Pochettino goes to Tottenham. So it's it's just it needs to be a chain of events, I think, because otherwise it's just Conte out of a job. And Conte should probably in which case take a year off, which sounds a bit crazy because I don't know how he, 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 he seems crazy and I don't know how he takes a year off. He, I don't think he would be the type to like just relax and watch Netflix. Like he would, <laughs> he's in his dungeon, like drawing notes and tactics and like playing chess with himself. Like he's, he's not going to be able to just sit on his hands and relax. But yeah, it, it is an interesting landscape right now in the managerial scene. And i I don't know how we got here. It seems a bit wild. But yes, uh, another exciting week in football in general. Russell, where can people find you? Uh, everyone, you can you can find me at RussellTo96. That's R-U-S-S-E-L-L-T-H-O-96 on Instagram. Kosti, where can people find you? At Football Masterminds, at FUTBOL Masterminds. Uh, thanks for all the support. Uh, guys we, we love engaging with with all you all on here on uh, social media if you have show ideas uh, I know that uh, Reese you were thinking about something doing something new and maybe the fans would like to hear about that and they can add their little tidbits there as well yeah definitely so 
in June, we're going to be starting, well, I guess it's tomorrow. In June, we're going to be starting our brand new podcast called Spin the Ball, which is going to take listener ideas, listener topic ideas uh, each week and put them on a sort of a, a wheel. And we're going to spin the wheel or spin the ball uh, to decide what we talk about each week based on listener submitted ideas. Um, so basically like two thirds of the episode will be whatever comes up on the wheel. And then a third or so of the episode will be talking about different ideas that we got um, and what's going to be coming up on the wheel or potentially coming up on the wheel for the next possible week. So we hope to have lots of fan engagement with that as we had with uh, as we've had with this show and um, definitely excited for that to get started. I know these two guys will probably be on there um, every now and then and would love to have different guests from if you are a listener right now, they're like, oh, I would like to come on that show based on like a topic that you're interested in. Always just feel free to let us know. Like you can hit up Costi at Football Masterminds and also me at Desmond Reese on Instagram and Twitter at Mastermind site as well on Twitter and Instagram. So uh, definitely keep up the engagement. We love hearing your feedback. We love hearing from you at all times. And we're just excited to continue bringing more content to the site and to our podcast that we have. We hope to see you again, everyone listening for the next show that we're going to do and for Spin the Ball as well. Have a good one and goodbye.